0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Mother-Daughter Team, Dr. Gloria, and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest today is Margaret Margot, and our topic is double loss a mentally ill son kills his father and himself. In 2001, Margaret Margot watched her youngest son, Steve, kill his father, Sal, and then himself. The murder-suicide of her loving husband and son motivated Margaret to write The Uninvited Guest. Margaret tells her story in the hope that other families won't slip through the cracks of the mental health system. On this show, Margaret will share with us the inner strength that sustains her. She is the founding member and resource development director of Listening Well, an organization which provides mental health education and awareness programs for individuals, organizations, and communities.
1: Welcome to the show, Margaret. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me on the show to bring, uh, to allow me to use my book as a platform to bring awareness, hope, educate, and most of all, to break the stigma of mental illness. Well, Margaret, I was just really impressed by your book. It's a great book, The Uninvited Guest, and I think you can get it through Amazon, can't you? Yes, you can. Yeah, I'm trying to, uh, I was just trying to get out Blogmaster, uh, blog to put it on the blog. So hopefully it will be on by the time we end the show or by tomorrow. But um, it's such a beautiful book and uh, the wonderful pictures of your family. And I, I wanted to give people a quick rundown on your family before you tell your story because it is quite a family. It is. I mean, you, in 1965, I think, believe you were widowed and you had three girls, Peggy, Barbara, and Sherry, right? That's correct. That's and correct. then you married Sal, and Sal in 1968, and Sal had three boys, right. Sal Jr., Sam, and Stephen. That's correct. And so kind of the Brady Bunch. But when our, our listeners listen to this, and I'm going to remind them during each segment, the girls are biologically... Yours and the boys are biologically your husband's. However, you really mixed it all up, didn't you? Yes, we sure did. And the only steps to our family was the steps walking through our front door. We were Mm -hmm. one big Mm -hmm. family. That's great. yeah, you can read in the book, it just uh, it emanates all the love you had for one another. Well, I wanted to start out a little bit with your whole you know, your whole journey before we got into the, your last tragedy where Stephen uh, stabbed your husband, Sal, and then himself. I want to talk about your journey early on. You uh, had a husband die as a young mother with three girls, right? I did, and Gloria and Heidi, I uh, dealt with the loss of my spouse at the age of 26. Wow, he was a young father, and we had three little girls, and he died of leukemia in nineteen sixty five at the age of thirty mm-hmm. Wow, quite a loss and was he over a long time or uh he, you know he was diagnosed and died six months later. Oh my gosh, so very um, quick death of three small very, girls yes, and um and then, of course, as you, if you read my, which I know you read my book, I lost my daughter Peggy at the age of 30, exactly the same age as her father, from melanoma. Uh, in 1988, right? That's correct. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Peggy died December 21st and was buried the day after Christmas mm-hmm. in um, 1988. And then how many years later before you lost Sal and Stephen? 17 years. Seventeen years later. Well, and all those losses. I am wondering, um, was there any? Is there any preparation, or is it all different? Very different. And uh, the loss of um, my husband, my girl's father, and Peggy. I had a chance to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. We talked. We shared. We prayed together. Um, my background was very stark. Um. um Catholic-Christian-Irish family. And, of course, you know, I had that opportunity. And with my double loss in June of 2001, um, it wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. So very different. And, and getting back, was it different having a spouse die? Because I know we have folks listen to having a child die. You know, my, Peggy was my firstborn. She was my introduction to motherhood. And she was lovely, a beautiful baby, a beautiful young lady, and um, she was just so full of life and energy that yes, it is very different. You you want to trade places with with your child
0: because you feel I would think, to a certain extent, that you know kids die. I mean, parents die first, and then children.
1: Exactly, Heidi. That's so true. And when you watch. A young person um, she was diagnosed with melanoma at the age of 28 and um, we went through all the treatments and and all and when it reoccurred two years later after she had gone into remission it was like the first day the doctor said your daughter's um, a fourth level a fourth stage melanoma and it's very grim that feeling just comes back and you say, "Oh no, Lord! Why not me? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm the parent; she's the child." So it is. It's very different. And then having, uh, uh, you call it a, do you call it a murder with Stephen? I do. Uh-huh. And then having a murder, yes, uh, of your husband. Let's go for it, looking at it that way, and then losing a child that you really um, had raised. Well, you know, the double loss of Steve and his father on the evening that it, it occurred in our home, um, his dad had picked him up to come to dinner to share a, a nice evening, which we had done in the past. But this evening um, was entirely different. Steve was very quiet and very preoccupied. thought he was in with the wrong crowd. You know, tried to get him the counseling he needed, and, and he would just be fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we hear that story so much from parents who have, had suffered from schizophrenic children because he didn't decompensate, which the therapy world calls it, until he went into the Navy. And, and that is not unusual, where they really go. Didn't he really kind of go to yeah, pieces correct. after he left? And after the death of our oldest daughter. And how did he deal him with him. that? Stephen, that's when he was diagnosed, Um, He was in the Navy, had gotten all through boot camp, was getting ready to be shipped out, and Peggy's um, melanoma progressed, and and we lost her, as I said, in December. Stephen went into a deep depression,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and we thought, well, him being the youngest of the family, her being the eldest, they had a special bond, and we thought till... You know, we'll go down and visit quite often until he gets shipped out and we'll help pull him out of it. It didn't happen that way. The depression got worse and worse. And then he was diagnosed in the Navy and um, was medically discharged and sent home. Mm -hmm. And then no place for him to go. Exactly. That's when I talk about the revolving door
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and the stigma. And, you know, just one little uh, thing I wanted to say is, you know, when Peggy was suffering from um, cancer, the melanoma that took her life, um, our family and friends were so compassionate. We felt so blessed to have all this support. But believe it or not, Due to the stigma, when Stephen came home with a a diagnosis of paranoia, schizophrenia, it was very, very different. They were caring, but not on that same level, if you understand. Mm -hmm. Well, and
0: some, you know, people on some level think, okay, he could control it, or what's going on that he's like this, why can't he change, why can't the family change him? I mean, you know, people don't realize
1: this is a disease. Exactly. And with all that love and care that we thought surrounded Steve, um, that he would never be able to to hurt. We had never seen him violent. Mm, oh, wow. He was such a handsome guy, too, from the pictures. And, you know, um, Heidi and Gloria, he was, and this just amazes me when I look at the other two siblings, um, Sam and Sal, I, Stephen walked like his father, looked like his father, in a uniform in the Navy. I, I put Sal's picture side by side with Steve. They were both Navy people. They looked identical. Mm-hmm. And he I know. I saw they looked a lot alike uh, in the pictures. Very much. And you yeah.
0: you saying that he wasn't violent until the night that he committed the homicide? Definitely. Or was there a history Correct. of violence before that?
1: He was our peacemaker. Wow. Growing up.
0: So can we go back to that night so I can get a better understanding of what it looked like and what happened?
1: What happened was that um, due to the fact that Stephen was paranoid of schizophrenia and lived in a group home, he didn't trust the people that cooked his meals.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: his dad, being the Italian father, you mm-hmm. feed your son. He Stephen had begun to lose quite a bit of weight. So Sal said, do you trust? Mom's cooking? Oh, yes. Well, I'll pick you up every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, mm-hmm. and you can come and have share dinner with us. He had did that for several months, but this night was different,
2: mm-hmm. not
1: like the other Friday nights when we shared dinner with him. He was extremely quiet and appeared to be very preoccupied, mm-hmm. and that, where I, things, when I, you know, addressed him, I said, Steve, how'd your day go today? Okay. Mm-hmm. Where usually was, well, I did this or I did that or had to go get my medications, which I want to stress. Even though um, Steve was on medication, and that was in his system, only his medication, not self-medicating, not street drugs, not any of the other he was on his psych meds at the time of this mm-hmm. wow. tragedy. And it, it's so fast. Um, it brought back a memory to me. I had a schizophrenic aunt, and I, I was at my um, grandfather's uh, summer cabin, and I walked in the kitchen, and she, I said, Hello, Aunt Eorta. She grabbed a knife mm-hmm. and went for me, and fortunately her daughter walked in the room.
0: Wow. But it's so fast. I never heard that story. That's
1: yeah. amazing.
0: It, yeah. it is so
1: incredibly fast, and I've known her all my life. Yes. And saw her after that, you know. But that moment, something she said to me, I said, how are you? And she said, don't ever say that to me again. And she grabbed a knife and went after me. I think at that time, when we look back on Steve being in the Navy, I think that's when he suffered his first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, be known to us at the time. We looked at it like... Oh my goodness he's really got a depression problem here we we need to get him help but never dreaming it the end diagnosis would be um paranoid schizophrenia now right. tell me um, it, it, looking at the mental health system i um i've always found there's a, a little blame of families or ha- you know is there something wrong with your family did you feel any of that i've seen that the stigma Prevented family members from talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, The boys would attend um, family reunions on their biological side of the family, and um, no one talked about it. But they, since Steve's death, have said to me, when I look back now, there was so much there that are that we feel could be us. Mm-hmm. Did you did you feel any um, any criticism from the mental health community or anything that maybe your family hadn't done right by him or you know that there was confusion in your family or anything like that or yeah. or did you feel supported? I felt supported by Steve's hands-on doctor, and I refer to him as Doctor T. And he does a lot of speaking for me when I do my health series mm-hmm. because I'm mental health director at our um, community. St. Joseph's community, and when Father T. comes and speaks, um, he always, and I don't, you know, he's a therapist, a psychiatrist, and he'll always say, thank you for having me here to um, support you in the work, you didn't only support your son, you were over the top, To help him get the care, but there was only so much we could do for him. Absolutely. You even went to classes uh, and were an expert, you know, a semi expert in the field of. That's correct. Yeah. And in the back of your book, you've got wonderful information about schizophrenia, also.
0: And also on your website, you've got great things about how not to, when people don't agitate people, don't get them, if they're in a bad place, don't get them upset. Don't. Challenge them. I mean, a lot of ways to calm a situation down and
1: exactly. not escalate it. Exactly. And see, if Steve would have showed us some of that mm-hmm. on that Friday night, uh, June 29, 2001, I would, and Sal would have, so you he know, had the, the kind of used some of those tools, but mm-hmm. we honestly did not see.
0: He had what they call the negative symptoms.
1: That's it. The
0: withdrawn, the quiet, so that you didn't know what was going on internally for him, it sounds like. Exactly. And what kind of voices he may have been hearing or what kind of things might have been happening with him. So he's, okay, I'm just trying to get the vision of that night. I guess I'm kind of stuck there in my head. You guys were all sitting around the table, is that? And he's very withdrawn?
1: Yes. And um, he was sitting at one end of the table and his dad at the other. Mm-hmm. And I was walking, I had taken a phone call, and I was walking into the uh, dining area, and um, Sal got up and um, walked to the kitchen and said, Great dinner, I'm going to catch the news. And he headed into the living room. With that, with no warning whatsoever, no words exchanged, Steve stood up and started into the kitchen. And I had my my knife block sitting on the counter. And um, I thought he was heading into the kitchen to get another glass of milk or to mm-hmm. do something. He walked out with a seven-inch knife in oh his hand. God. Wow. And I looked at him and I said, Steve, what are you doing? And he just glared at me. Mm-hmm. I talk about that in the monologues that uh, that I do with a listening well. Mm -hmm. And he just looked at me with a look that was like, you know, he didn't take one step toward me.
0: So was he looking like through you in a way?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And he made one big turn and then headed into the living room, and I yelled, Sal, Stephen's got a knife. And by the time, he didn't his father in the back he reached around him so sal was facing the knife coming at him Mm -hmm. and i ran to the my son room and called 911 Mm -hmm. and by then i heard the commotion sal was wrestling with him for the knife but what happened is when um that was taking place the knife went in sal went down and it um, killed him instantly. Mm-hmm. Stephen went across the room, and he started stabbing himself mm-hmm. and yelling, "Oh no, Dad! Oh no!" So what? My therapist and most of the doctors I've spoke to in my traveling and speaking engagements tell me that sometimes after the surge. Mm-hmm they come out of their their um state mm-hmm. and uh, that he realized it was his father prior to that time we don't know the voice that was right. commanding him to do this horrible thing mhm Absolutely, and that is the reason I titled the book "The Uninvited Guest." And
0: and maybe it was he was in so much pain, seeing that he had what he had done to his father, that he couldn't deal with it. So he said, "I've got to take my own life because I can't believe I killed someone that I love so much."
1: And seeing his father on the floor, I think Mm -hmm. Steve just it just hit him like, "Oh my God, it's Dad!" Mm -hmm. And well, he stabbed himself four Mm -hmm. times to the through the chest cavity
2: mm-hmm.
1: and once through the heart. Wow. The investigator that investigated um, the, the homicide said he died a horrifying death. Mm-hmm. And he, um, w- you thought that, th- that that was your husband that they were taking to the hospital and that Stephen was dead, right? Exactly. They got because, like we talked about, that Steve looked so much like his father. He was a clone of his dad, and um, he, um, they got them mixed up, and they told me, they came downstairs where they had had me standing with my neighbors, my friends, while they could get in here and do their job, and um, um, they told me that uh, my son had died instantly, and they were transporting my husband to the trauma unit at Dominican Hospital. And And that was really Stephen, your son, yes, it, exactly that they were taking exactly. we were all there waiting, thinking it was um, it was Sal and it was Steve. could you read um in your book on um, page thirty, where you started, where you tell about when you forgave him, because I think this is amazing because you went you found out he was dead and you went in to see his body, well, what happened was um, they came in, the, uh, Roy, uh, Roy and the doctor that was working on Steve while we were in this little room down the hall, came into the room and said there had been a horrible mistake that a young man who was a male nurse had attended high school with Steve and had surfed. We live on the ocean, and he had surfed with Steve. And when they kept saying, Sal, can you hear me, um, Drew said, this is not Sal. Oh, he I has a that. brother, Sal, and a father, Sal but this is Steve and Margo. I went to high school with them. Mm -hmm. And that's when they realized, and they came into the room and told us about the terrible mistake and that apparently my husband was the person that expired in our family home, not my son. And then they said that they would prepare Steve and anyone that would like to come in and say goodbye could. And the part that I think about is, As a mother, I'd raised this young man since he was kindergarten. He was my son, Mm -hmm. and I knew he could not have been in the right frame of mind to do what he did. And even though it was confusion and chaos and devastation, I knew I had to stand up and go in that room and ask God to forgive him. Mm -hmm. And And then can you read from page 30 where it starts with I... Uh, you know, you did this reading for Stephen at his uh, when you do, scattered his oh, ashes. Do you want but, me to read the whole reading? You know, just that last paragraph where you say that that was the reading I did for Stephen, and yes. I knew the forgiveness was in my heart. And then where it starts, I because I think okay, this is amazing. Okay, I stood up in that trauma room at the unit, and I walked into that room where they had been working on him, and he had been pronounced dead. I looked at that face, and I touched his head. I knew the Lord gave me the power to forgive, the power to understand that it wasn't in my control to forgive. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know in my heart of hearts that was the only way I I could have done that. That is amazing, the faith and forgiveness that you've had, isn't it, Heidi?
0: Absolutely. And what, and what a wonderful gift to give Stephen's siblings.
1: And And you know, Heidi and Gloria, uh the one thing that I, not one of my family, his biological brothers nor his sisters stood up to accompany me, it was my Mm son-in-law that just said, you're not going in there alone, I'm going with you. And Mm -hmm. he walked in with me. Mm -hmm. Is this a son-in-law that also cleaned up the house after? Yes. Um, uh, Gary. Mm Mhm. And and you actually went back to the house. How did you do that? How did you get the courage to do it? And what would you suggest to others? Well, this is what I, I felt in my heart of hearts. I stayed with my daughter, Sherry, for six weeks because they were doing all kinds of things here at the house, and it had to be cleaned up and recarpeted and everything. So when... Everyone kept saying, are you going to go back home? Are you going to go back home? And I thought, this is the home that Sal and I shared. Not that I was trying to hang on to something that wasn't there, but a home is your home. And I don't know how and why the Lord has gifted me with this. Not once since I came back have I visualized that awful thing that uh, took place on that Friday night. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So you haven't had any nightmares or anything. Some of our folks talk about having nightmares. I haven't. Now, you tell me why, Gloria. I haven't had to be on medication and it's not about me. I feel it's just that the first year that I was in therapy, my therapist would say to me, Margaret, you have an inner strength you're not even aware of. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that comes from? And I I really can't say other than it's a gift. It's a true gift. And, so, and you had, uh, was it this therapist you said wanted you to be angry? Well, or said, Aren't you angry? Or one I therapist said. should didn't? be angry. I should have anger. But, you know, there we go again. If you think of the person that did so much for his son and he's gone, would he feel better about me being an angry, hateful, distraught person? already want me to be the nonny that I am to my grandchildren, the mother I am to Sal and Sam and Barb and Sherry, and try to not be in a situation where I am not in control of my own life.
0: Well, and you know, saying that you should be angry, we're passing judgment on how somebody should grieve, and we all grieve in different ways. That's so true. Absolutely. I know you were
1: saying that Barbara um, was angry. Very angry. Mm -hmm. Very angry at her brother, Stephen. Mm -hmm. How could Stephen do this? How could he have hurt his dad? You and Pop have done so much for him. But you know what happened, I think, there? They seem to forget he was not in a normal state of mind. She says that now. She said, Mom, it was just that. He took someone, our pillar of our family, Mm -hmm. And but but you accept the fact that she agrees with anger you don't and Sal Junior acted out at its oh, time with alcohol yeah. which is Heidi and I have found that quite um, a lot of our men tell us that yes and you know the sad part is that I think when you have that much anger and that much um, confusion in your life after a terrible tragedy that they didn't take the time to mourn Stephen's death right. right? They were so involved in their loss of their father that they forgot all about this young their thing. sibling, yeah yeah mm-hmm. now how, now let me ask you, you lost uh, your first husband in nineteen sixty five and um did you find any difference in in having a husband die of leukemia, having your husband murdered? Did you have any perspective between the two, or did you think it did, uh it didn't matter? You know, I have to be honest with you. With Sal, I didn't get a chance. I tried to say goodbye. You know, I tried to hold him and and put a wet towel on his face and all until the emergency people got here. But I uh, I felt like I didn't have that same chance to. Um, and I've often told my friends and I told my therapist if he could come back one day. I'd like to thank him for all the good he did for our family Mm -hmm. and what a great provider he was. And with Bob, I got that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And the only thing, Heidi, I know this sounds very immature, but he died a very young man. All Bob's concern was, please remind my girls who I am Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and that I was a part of their life. And, and how about your children? Now, Peggy, uh, who died in 18, 1980 of melanoma, and then Stephen, who actually took your husband's life and then killed himself. Are your any thoughts about those two? Is any difference? With Stephen, I just felt like Peggy wasn't in control of the melanoma. Um, I remember her saying to her doctor, her oncologist, my life is in your hands. Mm. In Stephen's situation, I didn't feel he got the same care that Peggy got. I got to be in the hospital room for the last nine days of her life. I slept at UCSF in the hospital room with her. You know, I, I read her scripture. I was there for her. Mm. With Stephen, it was just a bloody blur. Margaret, do you want to give us your website? Yes, it's org, And... Um, all the proceeds of my book support the nonprofits uh, here in Santa Cruz County. Uh, that's great. And you speak all over? People can have you come and speak? I do. I've spoke uh, at a, quite a few luncheons and Christian um, um, luncheons, and um, I travel around a little bit and get out there, and wherever I could do it, I do a six-week um, mental health series here in Santa Cruz County and we normally get as many speakers that we can uh, to bring awareness, break the stigma, and educate. So you've uh, kind of found a why to go on and a how.
0: That's what I was going to ask, Mom. I was going to add to that, Margaret, you've lost two husbands and two children, and that's what I'm thinking. How have you done all this? And you've told us a little bit. I mean, how have you survived all this?
1: Do you know, I think, as a young child, I was always had a connection to um, the Lord, to healing, and to become a survivor. And the way I've done that is instead of turning things to, I accept what I cannot change, and I change what I can. I know it's a prayer that the 12-step people have used since, Uh, the big book but for me every time I walk and I walk four miles a day I put my little hand on that and that's my prayer to accept what I cannot change and change what I can and I kind of um, feel that that has been my survival. Well, Margaret, you are an inspiration to me, and uh, I'm sure to uh, thousands of people out there. And keep up the message and the good work you're doing, and it's a wonderful thing.
2: You have been listening to
0: Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.